0: Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the
1: social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael
0: Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelsner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am super excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Amy Schmidtauer, and we're going to get into how to get your videos to perform better in search. By the way, if you want to reach me, email me, podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And let's now transition over to this week's brand new discovery.
1: Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip.
0: This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new find. Eric, what'd you discover?
1: I found a great app called Quitter for Mac.
0: Quitter? Yes. Huh, tell me more.
1: Well, we, as we all are busy marketers, we get to the point where on our computer, especially our Mac, which is this is built for, we start turning on all these different applications in our dock all at once, and we're jumping from app to app. And as we move forward, we're taxing our resources. Well, Quitter will run up in the menu bar, and you can then set certain apps to quit or hide after a certain amount of inactivity.
0: Yeah. And, and when you say taxing resources, you mean the computer starts slowing down all of a sudden, and you can't yes. figure out why, right? Yes. Interesting. So um, does it tell you which resources are taking up the most I mean, which apps are taking up the most resources or does it just automatically just pause them or what?
1: It doesn't even go that route of giving you like analytical data. It really just is about you being more mindful of, like for example, if I've got Slack open all day, but I'm about to go to lunch, after about 10, I can set it for 10 to 15 minutes and it'll just completely turn Slack off or other things off.
0: So how do you use it exactly then? You, you, you download
1: it and it's free and you install it and it runs up in the menu bar. And you just basically you create rules. and you, you say pl- you hit plus. you select an app that you run all the time, assumedly. and then you can select whether you want to quit it or hide it. And then you uh, set in the, the little box here, you type in a number. I, you know in the example, they've got 10 and 15 minutes. And so, so say I do my, my regular interval of checking our app mentions on Twitter. So I open up, I fire up Tweetbot, but when I'm done, I forget to close it. Well, I don't really need it to be open anymore. Maybe after ten minutes of me not using it, it shutting all the way down is a good thing. Gotcha. So
0: so it'll actually quit the app for you. Yeah. And as far as hiding it, it just means it's going to hide it from your view. It's still going to yes. be running. Is that right? Yes. Very yeah. Cool. That's
1: so. Those are your options, and it's a really cool time saver.
0: Now, what's the name of the app again?
1: It's called Quitter for Mac.
0: And where do we find it?
1: Well, it's really easy to find. You just—it's made by the guy who makes the Overcast app, podcasting app. And to do to get to it, you go to Marco M A R C O
0: dot org slash apps. Awesome! Thank you so much, Eric, for that brand You're new welcome. discovery. Thank you. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Now over to my interview with Amy Schmidtauer.
1: Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide.
0: I'm very excited to be joined today by Amy Schmidtauer. If you don't know who Amy is, she's a video marketing expert, public speaker, and host of the Savvy Sexy Social, try saying that three times fast, YouTube series, where she helps marketers with YouTube and social media tips. Amy, welcome so much to the show.
2: Hello, Mike. I'm so glad to be back.
0: It's awesome to have you back. Today, Amy and I are going to talk about how to make your videos rank in search. Um, Amy, it seems like today, in the summer of 2016, when we're recording this, video is everywhere, right? You've got Snapchat, you've got Facebook Live, you've got YouTube, you've got Blab, Periscope, Instagram, Vine with six second videos and probably every other conceivable social network that you can imagine. So we are creating videos all over the place in a way that we never did before. And, and even sometimes just on our smartphones, right? And we're not even doing anything with them. Does it make sense to create these videos for all these different platforms and just kind of let them live on that platform? Or does it make sense to somehow do something with those videos that maybe centralizes them. What's your thoughts?
2: I think there's a couple of ways to come at this. And first and foremost, you should always consider the content for the platform that you're creating it for. So Not going into it like, oh, we're going to create this amazing Snapchat story that we're going to upload to YouTube next. Because I feel like that takes your focus off of where it's really being created for. And the most important thing you do ever when creating content is recognizing the platform you're going to and making sure that you're delivering a product that is actually going to be welcomed in the context of that situation, Snapchat, Instagram, Vine, YouTube. And a lot of these are very different. How you would present a video on YouTube is very different than how you would present a video on Facebook, at least when you're trying to measure what's really going to be successful in the environment that it's in. So I think that first you have to keep that in mind, but it's possible, of course, you know, if Uh, For instance, an influencer who maybe wants to build a Snapchat portfolio and be known for that, they're going to want to retain that stuff and and put it somewhere that can be rewatched because otherwise it's going to expire in 24 hours. But you have to think about it that way. When does it make sense? to repurpose this content and put it somewhere. And I tried to point these things out based on if you're creating content on YouTube, does it make sense to bring in some footage from Instagram or bring in some footage from Snapchat or something else or a live stream and say, oh, this gives a little bit of context to what we're talking about and to clip it in. And that's where you can use editing. But really taking a Snapchat story, uploading vertical video to YouTube and expecting it to do as well there as it would in the place where it was created for is just not, it's not going to pan out the way you want it.
0: While you were talking, I remember interviewing uh, Vine star Zach King a while back. Mm -hmm. And he told me that, and for those that don't know who he is, he does a lot of like special effects kind of stuff where he's like, um, I don't know, like one second he's standing outside a closet and then he jumps through the closet and his clothes remain behind and drop down. (laughs) This kind of crazy stuff. And what Zach told me is, part of what helped him explode was that someone unbeknownst to him took a bunch of his six second videos, sewed it together into a video and stuck it up on YouTube and on Facebook. And it went viral mm-hmm. and, um, cause it was like a, you know, collection if, of Zach's work. Right. And that just basically skyrocketed him to success. And I think in particular, like with Facebook and in particular, Facebook live, You know, the stuff that you create on a Facebook Live could just as easily go on YouTube, couldn't it?
2: It could absolutely, but I think that what you have to remember is that YouTube is still a little bit of a different environment than something like a Facebook Live. In Facebook Live, you're you're especially the live situation is not always as fun on playback, and that's the one really big thing I want people to keep in mind. If you're if, if you're getting on live and you're just sitting there and you are going through some sort of programming or curriculum, but there, it's a lot of co- talking to comments and things like that that is going to drag on. It doesn't matter if it's 10 minutes or 30 minutes. 30 minutes would be the worst case scenario. That's not going to be a fun experience for anyone on YouTube to watch back. If you are getting on with more intention and saying, hey, getting on live, you guys, some really big news popped out today and I just want to let you know, and maybe a couple of comments are being referenced here and there, but for the most part, you're staying on point. That may be a good repurposing opportunity for YouTube because somebody that watches is going to feel like they're having about the same experience as when it was live. So I, I don't think you should lose an opportunity to do that, but it's it's about how is the other audience going to receive it when they're watching it? Are they really going to sit here when they're used to five-minute videos of Zach King being strung together or cats or an informational tutorial that people can get done in a very short amount of time? That's what you need to think about. And also, having a channel with varying timestamps, such as, you know, if you do a three minute tutorial and then all of a sudden you're uploading a 30 minute live stream, this is going to start to sway the audience retention rates of your channel, which may or may not be promising for you. Because if you have a low retention rate, YouTube sees that as, oh, you don't keep people watching for very long. So we may or may not send you more traffic. And that's something you want to be careful of as well.
0: Let's say you compose a video um, using your camera or a professional camera. And, um, you know, it's professionally done and it's designed to be watched non live. Um, and, you know, you, you, you typically have a couple places where you can post it, but maybe, you know, typically YouTube and Facebook. Does it still make sense to do that? Or should they just go on YouTube? I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I mean, if it's 60 seconds, I could hypothetically see it going on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook, right?
2: Yeah. And and here's, I guess, the, the difference that I'd like to point out, because if you're comparing Facebook and YouTube, they seem about the same in terms of uploading experience. You can take a produced piece of content, upload it, and put it out to the audience that is subscribing to that channel, whether it's a YouTube channel or a Facebook page or a profile, whatever the case may be. But on YouTube, when somebody is watching a video, it's an intentional move. Somebody has to go to a video, click play, audio and video immediately begin. Whereas on Facebook and then now Instagram as well, these two platforms are just kind of putting video in your face that has been posted and it's scrolling through this feed that you may see it and you may or may not click the play or audio button to hear what's actually going on. So what you're uploading to Facebook may not be the same thing you're uploading to YouTube because if it's not visually compelling and that has to be very fast moving in the age of video that we are today, then no one's going to be interested in it at a point where they will sit, Turn on the audio, watch it, and then potentially engage. It's just a very different thought process that somebody's gonna go through. Mm. Me on Facebook, my typical YouTube video looks just like a talking head. I'd like, I would like to think I'm a little bit more interesting than a talking head, but you wouldn't know that if you can't hear me. And you will on YouTube for sure, unless you just don't have earbuds in. Like the audio is gonna push no matter what. Instagram and Facebook, the video will play without the audio, and it's ready to pick up whenever you're ready for it. And I think so it's yeah, just this a is different a different experience. This is a
0: very important distinction because people don't go on Facebook with the intent to watch a video. They go on there to be connected with their friends and their family.
2: They want to know what's happening,
0: and 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 the video is a disruptive thing that's mm-hmm. designed to get them to do something they didn't intend to do, like unmute. Where on YouTube. They're going there with the intent to try to watch a video, right? Right. I mean, and there's no question. They're either searching for the video or they've um, subscribed to someone who they know produces content that they want to watch. I think that's a very critical distinction. Very. And um, I guess that's the distinction that answers the question, why does YouTube still matter? Because so many marketers are pretty much just focusing on Facebook um, because... Marketers produce messages that are designed to disrupt by the very nature of marketing, right? Mm -hmm. We create things that are designed to disrupt and hopefully get attention where, quote unquote, producers of shows like yourself design videos not necessarily to disrupt, but to inform, educate, and entertain, right?
2: That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the other reason why YouTube matters is the other reason why marketers may or may not have patience for it. You're really investing in your archives for the number two search engine on the planet. And a video could perform for you, not today, but in the future. The number one Most viewed video on my channel is from a few years ago, just a simple tutorial that I couldn't find a very good one for, but has been so in demand. People are just dying to figure out how to embed a YouTube video into a PowerPoint presentation, apparently, because it's my most viewed video. It was not in the first year. It took some time for it to pick up and then it became top of search, and a lot of search traffic is now happening. So it is performing for me and sending me new viewers. So that can be Patience-wise, you know, marketers, companies, they, they may or may not be interested in it. Facebook, you get this luxury of big organic numbers because they're pushing the content out there and it's great for getting the brand awareness. You know, my face showing up, whether you're listening to it or not, may or may not be a good thing. At some point, you may want to click the play button and listen or, you know, dig a little deeper. But that's what you're investing in. You're just investing in the potential of just getting a ton of reach. And that may or may not be the impact you want. It just depends on the goal.
0: Now, I want to dig in on, um, just before we went live, we were talking, as of the day of this recording, there was some big news that came out uh, Mm -hmm. from Adobe. And you weren't planning to do what you did today, but what you did was a play to try to get you and your brand into search.
2: Absolutely. And And I
0: want you to kind of tell people, what happened, and what you did, just so they can understand this, because we're transitioning now over to the how to get your videos to show up in search. So go ahead and explain what you did.
2: Sure. So since I talk about video, for for fairly beginner to intermediate creators or brands, Adobe came out with an app that's a web client that you're able to create quick photos for Instagram or quick landing pages for your website, similar to a Canva-looking situation, but they also integrated a video Component, which essentially means you can sit down at your computer and create a video in a matter of minutes. When that happened. What's it called, by I, the way? It's, I'm sorry, Adobe Spark. Okay. And they also have a mobile app. This is all free, by the way. This is not a part of the Creative Cloud. That's why this is so. And this big. dropped
0: today as of this recording, right? That's
2: right. There have been some people in beta up to this point, but this is totally live today to the public. And uh, there's a mobile app as well. It's called Spark Post. So essentially, the idea for me was nobody knows about this yet. Anyone that was in beta, they would have to have a fairly large reach on YouTube and Adobe would have had to give them permission to talk about the app for them to list a video. So I checked and sure enough, there really was nothing in search for this except Adobe, of course, put out a video this morning. So I said, screw it. I'm going to make a video right now. And if you pull it off as a first look, then that's really what it is. And I sat down and I just recorded my screen. I said, I'm doing the first look of video particularly that component of Adobe Spark. Long story short, also getting in front of the camera to sort of open up the video as well as close it out. And I can talk about that later as to why that's important. But... By getting that live, you know, I get the advantage of the fact that nobody's ranking in search for it yet, so I can get ahead of it. I also have a nice rapport with YouTube because I have subscribers and I have great viewership per month. And by listing it with the right tags, description, and headline, so I really try to get to the top of search immediately and then stay there I could potentially be pulling in traffic for that search in the long run as more of the mainstream is finding out about this app. And the key thing there is that first 24 to 48 hours of a video. If you can show momentum in that amount of time and there's no competition in search, it's a really awesome thing that can happen for that video for you to now be the number one result. And the only one beating me right now is Adobe, of course. So I'm doing okay on day one.
0: Okay, cool. So just to break down what you did basically is some news came out this morning, you didn't plan to do this. Right. You cleared your schedule and you worked for whatever an hour or whatever, probably probably longer. <laughs> to produce In total,
2: in total for me to record, edit, upload, it was a 9-minute video, so it took a little bit of time. SEO and some promotion including a Facebook live post about the news. It was about 3 hours in total.
0: Okay, so you put 3 hours into this. You posted this thing up on YouTube did you also post it on Facebook?
2: I didn't post it on Facebook. I did a live stream to okay. talk about my YouTube video because I don't want the views on Facebook right now. I want the views on YouTube because anything happening in that first 48 hours is helping me continue to rank it. So you
0: went on Facebook live and you, re- you referenced the video to give it a little bit of PR, That's right, but mm-hmm. also to bring the news to your audience, right?
2: That's right. Exactly.
0: Cool. All right. See, so, and, and currently when you say you're ranking, does this mean in Google or in YouTube or in both? YouTube
2: search, okay. front page of YouTube search. Google search takes a little bit more time. And, um, when it comes to hitting front page of Google search as a YouTube video, you have to be top two, um, if they're even pulling them in, which they typically do. So there's a solid chance of that as well. When the, when the search caches.
0: Okay. And um, this is not something... Amy and I had already planned to do this recording today. This was coincidental that this happened today. But it's just a great example of how you could leverage breaking news, right? Um, Especially if you've already established any kind of channel on YouTube. Is there another way... um, Before we get into... Is there another way... Are there other ways to get... um, exposure in the search of YouTube and or Google beyond just being like one of the early ones to do a video
2: there there are i mean and and this is an example of something that has a brand that's heavily searched but a product that has never been heard of so it is considered early search but it's still a very searchable brand um there are still ways to be discovered in search and not necessarily be the first one there if you can release a video and tag it and and get all of your copy in it accordingly and have that moment to move it up, it will have a chance of being on the front page of search. It's just that you need to show that it's more relevant. And YouTube is open to that being a possibility because newer videos are are by a definition potentially more relevant. But it also has to prove that it's going to knock the number one spots down a little bit if it's a more updated version or more popular or more engagement, etc. So it's still possible. And, and you can always be discovered because of referred content as well. And that's a less, lesser of an opportunity of the search component. But, um, yeah, you don't necessarily have to be on the front page to get traction and you don't have to be there first. But if you have competition, you actually, you actually have more to work with if you have competition, because you can look at what they did to get on the front page and try to replicate, which I can talk about that a
0: little bit more. Cool. We're going to get into in just a minute here and all the different ways that you can optimize uh, your video. The question that's going through my brain right now is, and I know you might not know the answer because probably nobody knows how the YouTube algorithm really works, but what do you think are the indicators from what you've observed that will help something show up higher in YouTube search? What what do you think YouTube's looking for? If
2: I if I had to choose the number one thing, it's what we've seen. If you if you have a YouTube account and you look at analytics whatsoever, you know this. We don't we can we can barely even find the views, ta- uh, uh, metric anymore. The views metric because they've replaced it with minutes watched. They really want to see channels who have high minutes watched, high retention, and high engagement submitting these videos. So it is hard at the beginning if you do not have this rapport. Somebody that steps in and says, oh, I've been around and I've got subscribers and I've got viewers. I've got all this stuff I can bring to the table and I'm talking about this. It has a very solid chance of, of going up in search. For instance, I've done lots of videos with Subie Zimmerman, the Instagram expert, and she should be every single result on the front page of YouTube search. But because I've done a video with with her as well and I have more subscribers than her, I'm getting a bump and I show up in search on the front page as well for Instagram marketing, for instance. So that's sort of keyword. So there is a lot to this that has to do with the rapport of your channel and YouTube and them knowing that you bring minutes watched to the table and that means people are staying on the platform to watch you, which makes them more money and keeps people on their platform and they like that. So So total minutes watched, not
0: just not just minutes watched for this particular video. Is that what you're saying? Correct.
2: It's it's minutes watched over usually a period of time. They usually look at 90 days to, you know, uh, a year. Um, It's usually 90 days, though, that they're making sure that you're staying relevant. At least that's what I've heard in terms of talking to YouTube directly anytime they've reached out with me.
0: And then, you know, all things being equal. Beyond that, are they looking at how long people are watching the particular video? Are they looking at how many people like it, thumbs up it, comment it, share it? Are they looking at all that kind of stuff? Do you believe or do you, are you not sure?
2: I know for a fact that engagement is huge. So that's why we hear a lot of YouTube creators asking for the thumbs up, asking for the comments, etc. Uh, but definitely retention is... It could be the retention of the video individually, but usually that's only the case if your retention is just bad. For instance, somebody clicks play. Like I said, YouTube is a very intentional place to watch video. So if somebody clicks play, they're watching and listening and immediately get bored and leave in the first couple of seconds, that's bad retention. If you have a trend of that happening for a video, they're not going to rank that in search. This is this is going back to old school YouTube of people pretending to have a Justin Bieber leak audio and trying to rank a video in search for that. And then the viewers get there and they're very disappointed and they immediately leave. They didn't want people to be able to game the system with just copy. So retention is a good indicator of if you're not delivering on what you said you were going to, we don't want you here.
0: Got it. Okay. Let's talk, let's get into the actual techniques that you use to optimize videos. Uh, Because obviously you employed some of those techniques this morning when you were putting this Adobe video together, right? So Mm -hmm. um, let's start with maybe the description and the headline and whatever you want to share about that.
2: Sure. So in these cases, It's really important before you even make the video, ideally. But if you make the video, that's fine. Before you go to upload the video, you really need to have whatever the focus keyword is. That's critical because you have to have that nailed down so that the rest of the fields are actually going to line up together. So, knowing what the phrase or word is that you are trying to rank for in search, and I'm generally talking about YouTube search in this case, but we'll talk about how it affects Google as well. So knowing what that keyword is, and in my case today, it was Adobe spark. It's pretty simple. Um, you're going to want that as early on in the headline as possible, but as long as your headline is fairly pared down, it's okay if it's at the end, but pared down is five to six words. You really don't want your headline running off into the ether. So like, what,
0: what did you come up with today? Like first views Adobe spark or something?
2: I said, and I wanted to make sure that I pointed out, I didn't want to mislead and say I was doing a tutorial on the whole thing. I was only going in on that video component. So the name is Adobe Spark, colon, make videos in minutes. Mm, Okay. So that was my compelling, because that's also, I have to make it relevant to my audience. I'm not just going to say, first look at Adobe Spark, although that's really what it is, I want you to know why you're going to care about it before you even click play. But I have to make sure I put the reason you'll care and the name of the thing I'm trying to rank for in the same headline.
0: Cool. That's awesome. And then what about the description? How does that vary, if anything?
2: So the description is really special. Let's talk about Google for just a second. If you think about Google search, any Blog post, let's just say a socialmediaexaminer.com blog post, you know that you can insert a meta description, but if you didn't, the first couple of lines of that blog post are going to be what appear as sort of a preview in Google search results where your post will rank. Well, in the case of a YouTube video, a direct Google search result to a YouTube video on a watch page on YouTube, not on a blog post page, but YouTube directly. The first couple lines of the description play that role. So when you're talking about using that keyword in the headline, you also want it in the description. YouTube is going to weight the entire description equally for the most part when it comes to their search. But if you're also hoping that Google gets a hold of it, you really want it in the first couple lines of the description so that Google can pick it up as well as YouTube. Google's going to be less concerned about the latter part of your description, which is hiding a little bit um, in comparison to those first couple of lines. Does that make sense? Yeah.
0: If you have the Adobe one that you did this morning handy, I would love you to read it. Um, sure. and, and also do they on YouTube, do they show the entire description or do they have like a more button after a first couple of lines? They have a more
2: button. Right. Okay. So that first couple of lines is also coveted um, when it comes to uh, the 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 site of your viewer on the watch page because it's you know the whole conversation of above the fold and also clicking the more button. The first couple lines of the description are really important. So getting your keyword in there and also getting a call to action can be helpful for getting people more interested in seeing the rest of the description. So that's pretty big. I can read you that. Yeah, let's first. hear it. Sure. So it just says check out Adobe spark to create videos in minutes. So I pretty much regurgitated the headline and you see this a lot. They might even post the exact headline over again in some YouTube videos. And then I posted the link to spark.adobe.com and then I post great for posts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and more free web client. So I wanted to be able to have Adobe spark posts, Instagram Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest. I put those in the description as well because then that makes those keywords fair game. If somebody is searching for Adobe Spark and they're saying Adobe Posts instead on accident because it seems like those two words are going to be conflicting based on what people are calling this tool because I think they rolled out post first and then spark is like a compilation of things. Um, so yeah, it was, there was sort of a keyword play there as well, but I could have included a link to a call to action there as well. If I wanted somebody to go sign up for my guide or sign up for my email list so that it would be above the fold. But I was mostly worried about search and not call to action in this case, because there's other functionality on YouTube I can use for that.
0: Was everything you read going to show above the fold or just the first sentence?
2: Uh, it should all show because they're very short sentences.
0: Gotcha. Um, Is it acceptable practice to put a link um, above the fold uh, like yes. you did? Okay, because that yes. seems counterintuitive. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's just user experience for YouTube viewers. If you're referencing something is in the description and you want it to be so dummy proof that they're going to find that link no matter what. And most creators also have a lot of other information in their description. You don't want that call to action to get lost. It's not weird at all to have that link at the, at at the top
0: at all. And the call to action, when you say call to action, I think it means lots of things to different people. Mm-hmm. We know it means get them to act. But for example, on Facebook, there's a call to action that shows up after the whole video is played, and it kind of hovers over the video. In the case of YouTube, is it just a action call that is inside the description, or is it some other function?
2: I'm just saying it as whatever you direct the viewer to do that's what that that's what that call to action is. So my call to action is for you to check out Adobe Spark. Gotcha. So there's the link for that. And the reason why that benefits me in this case is if I make Adobe happy and my video is high in search, then that's a good relationship for me to have. I can also reference something at the end of my video that's relevant to video making, but I'm not going to use that at the top of the description because it's not as relevant. And I also have the opportunity for spark.adobe.com to help help me in search as well.
0: Is it true that YouTube is listening to the words you say in the video and somehow using that to also decide to index you? That is the question, isn't it?
2: Everybody asks this question. And and from what I have seen, I do not see a lot of evidence to this. I think it's possible, and obviously they are trying to caption videos um on their own with their technology, so it's of course possible it's just not reliable so you don't know also- that
0: so 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 you wouldn't worry too much about that. Obviously, the only reason I would think they would do that is if they if they if the subject of your video and and, and they listen and not one of those words were in that video, you right. know, then maybe they just don't show the video right.
2: Right. But you would, I really doubt that that's what's happening. I think they're trying to make the experience better when it comes to captioning and um, translating to other languages, because that's a really, you know, 80% or something, 80% of YouTube viewers are outside of the United States. Mm. And so it's really important for them to be on their game with that. But I think it's more for the viewer experience and less about helping you rank.
0: Does the length of the video have anything to do with the indi- the likelihood of it showing up in search?
2: Yes actually does. And I think this is another tip in terms of looking at what your competition is. If you are trying to rank in a search where there's already results, it's good to look at timestamps and length of video and say, okay, well, the number one result got this done in less than five minutes. So we should absolutely be within that time frame as well. If you happen to end up on the front page of search and you're the six minute result versus a three minute result or something like that, You may not be chosen just based on that. This is where we start talking about human SEO. And that's a very human... Thing uh, to look at. Oh, oh, man, I see what you're saying because that you know, timestamp like, is right there next long... to that's right exactly. there next to the
0: video, and people decide whether they want to watch the long one or the short one, right?
2: Exactly. If you if I see a tutorial, I'm trying to figure something out really quick in Photoshop. Okay, somebody teach me how to do this in Photoshop. Okay, this guy took ten minutes to explain it, and somebody else got to their point in two. Who do you think I'm going to choose? Because a lot of times we're seeing these screencasters just droning on and on and on, and not opening their videos correctly, and you're trying to skip through it to get to the part you think you need to learn and you really should see the whole thing, you're going to choose the short one every time. So timestamp is important. It has to do with analytics a little bit, but more than anything, it's just a human thing. If your audience sees a video that's much longer than usual or somebody doesn't know you and they can find shorter results for a very quick thing that they need to learn because they don't know you yet, they're not hooked on you yet, they're going to choose the shorter
0: one every time. What about tags? Um, is there some sort of keyword tagging that goes on with YouTube?
2: Yes. Tags are really important because it's sort of how you kind of like bring it all in. You've got your focus keyword, which is very prominently placed in the headline and then the description. The tags is more of an opportunity to kind of cover your bases. Um, you might be able to show up in. A same search, but phrased a little bit differently. And then also thinking in layman's terms, you know layman's literally means a person who is not a member of a given profession. So with that being the case, you should offer those layman's terms for how somebody would actually be searching for something and think about what are all the ways that this video would be relevant to someone who's never met me, doesn't know the terminology, doesn't know how to do something that I can support. And that's where you really try to focus your efforts in tags because you get a lot of opportunity to fill those in for the gaps of the searches that you're not trying to rank in, but certainly could be if you had the opportunity. You just can't have, you know, a slew of keywords all about in your headline and in your description. It would be a mess for the users and for search. So the tags is where you get to kind of bring everything together and say, here are some other ways that this would be relevant.
0: Are there tools? And does YouTube even provide or Google provide such tools to allow you to put in like a phrase and pop out a bunch of other phrases that might be Phrases that should be considered in the tags. There's a.
2: I would. I have some recommendations for this. I think YouTube doesn't really. Give it to you. <laughs> we used to have tags publicly on the YouTube watch page, and they took them away because people were abusing them. But you can use tools like there's a Google Chrome extension called VidIQ, V I D I Q, and what this will do is it adds functionality to your browser so that anytime you're on a YouTube page, uh, both a watch page and a search page, you can look at the results. It'll pull out the tags for you, and that can give you an idea of what that competition on the search page is really. Um, using in terms of tags that might help you as well. Most of the time, you're going to find that people are not doing a very good job with their tags. They may have gotten to the top of search for some other reason, but it's still very useful. Another thing to think about, because you're trying to hit YouTube and Google search, is to use Keyword Planner from Google AdWords and looking at keyword ideas. And this can also help you with that beginning portion of planning out your headline and description. You want to look to see like, how high is the competition for these keywords? Is this something that's going to really benefit me if I can really get my video in the right spot? Medium, competition, what are the keyword ideas that Google's offering you? What is YouTube offering you? Um, Via a, a tags research Option with vidIQ. And the other thing I would suggest is just use YouTube search as you would as, as anyone using the platform. Because what happens is when you start typing in a keyword, say you have an idea of where the video is going to go, you start typing that into search, the predictive search menu is going to appear below it. And whatever is highly searched for, however it's phrased, is going to be suggested to you. And that's a very good indication of highly searched content on YouTube that you could potentially hit for. So just basic... Uh, opportunities like that can really let you know, oh man, I didn't know that that was going to be highly searched. Um, And it's showing up in predictive searches. So it must be, I'm going to try to rank for that feed. And then you can go and look at the competition and use things like vidIQ and keyword planner to support your tags.
0: Amy, that is so awesome. Um, (laughs) You have given us a, a very wide range of tips and techniques that we can use to actually try to see if we can get ranked in search. And
2: Can I give you one more? Yeah, go for it. Just one. The timestamp, as I said, is very human SEO, but the, the thumbnail is where it's at. If you do not have custom thumbnails, you're leaving the visual experience, that connection that the viewer may be searching is trying to have with you to choose your video. So really use that opportunity. And in the case of today, I, I use copy in my thumbnails because that's a human, that's a human copy opportunity. Where and when have you to say copy, such. you
0: mean text. I'm going to lay in right. lay, yeah, te- this.
2: <laughs> yeah, over, yeah. Sorry. Uh, overlaying text on photos in a custom thumbnail is an opportunity to talk to someone directly and say, choose me, choose this video. So what did you do?
0: What did you do for the one that you just created? uh, today?
2: That's where I put the word first look, Hmm. because that I did want to say that. But as I was trying to phrase my headline, it was really hard to say, oh, I want you to know that you're going to make videos with this, but I also want you to know it's a first look. So not to expect like a full tutorial. So I'll put it in the copy. I'm sorry, in the text of the custom thumbnail, because you'll know, because you'll see that I don't have to rank for the words first look. So it's not a priority for the headline. I would put it there if it wasn't too much in terms of, number of characters, but I used it in the thumbnail instead. So with my face being there, the logo for the product being there and me saying first look, that custom thumbnail is also going to pull you in. And you cannot discount that. You must have a custom thumbnail before you let a YouTube video go live because you're just leaving it to chance if you don't go that far.
0: Well, I know this is an audio podcast, and I definitely am going to ask you to provide me that YouTube link, and we'll be sure to put that in the show notes. But I also know that you want people to come find you. So why don't you tell everyone, if they want to follow Amy Schmittauer, where do they go? Where do they discover all the stuff that you're working on?
2: I would love for you to go and check out amyschmittauer.com. That's going to take you to my speaking page. But if you'd like to dive into the videos, you can click the home button from there, or just go straight to SavvySexySocial.com.
0: And Schmittauer, go ahead and spell that for everyone.
2: S-C-H-M-I-T-T-A-U-E-R.
0: Amy Schmittauer, video and YouTube marketing expert. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all your insight with us.
2: Thanks for having me, Mike. This is great.
0: Well, I hope you got a lot out of today's interview. I want to say, first of all, thank you for choosing to listen to my podcast. I know you have a lot of shows that you can listen to and the fact that you Bless me with your time means a lot. A few little notes. First of all, socialmediaexaminer.com slash two zero two is the link to get to the notes. So if there's anything that we mentioned and you just missed it, socialmediaexaminer.com slash two zero two. Also, don't miss a future episode of this show by hitting that subscribe button on the podcast player if you're brand new. And if you haven't done so and you're new to the show, I mean, I'm sorry, you're not new to the show. If you're a regular listener to the show or you're new to the show, but especially if you're a regular listener to the show, would you do me a favor and give me a review on iTunes? Socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes from your smartphone or anywhere will get you right to where you can give me a rating and a review. Well, this brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week